Good morning, Grace Church. All right, my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor here, and I have a quick question for all of you. Have you ever felt out of place? Just a show of hands. Have you ever felt out of place? Okay, it's like everybody in this room, and if your hand didn't go up, you're out of place for not lifting your hand up. So all of you have felt out of place at some point. So when I was 13 years old, uh, I, I grew up in southern Maine in a little town called Saco, uh, right next to o- Old Orchard Beach, right, right south of Portland. And so I lived my whole life there until I was 13. Um, and then when I was 13, we moved to northern Maine, um, Presque Isle, for some of you that might know where that is. Uh, it's the last exit north on I-95, and then you get off the highway, and then you drive another hour, and that's where Presque Isle is. And when I was growing up, when I was 13, I was really into like heavy metal. I'm a pastor's kid, okay? So have some grace. Heavy metal Christian bands, okay? And so what I would wear is I I had like these tight band shirts. I had long hair. And then I had this belt um, that some of you, okay, you remember these belts? Okay. (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, you are not my pastor anymore. So I had this belt and when I moved to Northern Maine, like I thought this was, this was still the thing. And so I wore this belt and all of, you know, my new friends, I'm trying to fit in, I'm trying to like make friends and all these different things. And they labeled this the Socko belt. They'd be like, oh bro, sick Socko belt. Like that was the slam in middle school, I guess. But I didn't, I didn't like tractors. I didn't grow up hunting. I played football. I didn't play soccer. And so, I felt really out of place in Northern Maine. And if you've ever felt out of place, you, you understand this feeling. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. And we're in a, a series right now called Identity Theft. We're working through um, a book in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible called Philippians. And the author of this book, his name is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's addressing this very feeling that they were feeling out of place that they were feeling a little uncomfortable because all around them in their town called Philippi, there are people worshiping different gods. There are, there are temples for other gods. There are pagan religions and there are people that care all about money and power and careers more than anything else. And so Paul's reminding this church, listen, you have been given a new identity and this is what that new identity looks like. Because when we, when we feel out of place, it's really easy for us to start to take on different pieces of our new environment and start to put them on ourselves so that our identity looks a little more like the culture that we're in so that we don't look so out of place. It would have, it, it, like, like for me, it would have been like ditching the Socko belt or buying a John Deere tractor or wearing baggy camo shirts. Like I would have taken on these things to try to fit in so I wasn't out of place. And Paul's reminding the church in Philippi, you have a new identity. You don't need to take any of these things. Like you don't need to take on the identity or pieces of the identity of the culture around you. You've been given a new identity that's complete and full. So last week we talked about how Paul called the people that were part of the church in Philippi. He gives them this new identity. He calls them citizens of heaven. That's what we talked about last week, citizens of heaven. See, Philippi was a Roman colony on foreign soil. They, see, they weren't, they weren't in Rome, but they represented Rome in a region called Macedonia. 
And in that same way, the church in Philippi and our church, Grace Church here in West Bridgewater, we are called to be a heavenly colony on earthly soil. So a heavenly colony on foreign land. We aren't in heaven, but we are called to live out the values of God's kingdom while we are here on earth. And so Paul Now in chapter two, after reminding them, listen, here's your new identity. You are citizens of heaven in chapter one. Above being citizens of Philippi, you are a citizen of heaven. Now in chapter two, he's going to break down what that looks like. And I want to start here in Philippians chapter two, verse 12. You all open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Philippians two all morning. So there's Bibles on the seats in front of you. Open up the Bible app on your phone. Go to Philippians chapter two. Um, the easiest way to find it is go, you can go right to the front of your Bible. There's this thing called a concordance, table of contents, um, and it'll tell you what page Philippians is on. It's actually a really easy book to miss. It's only four chapters, but it's towards the end of your Bible. So Philippians chapter two, and I want to start in verse 12 where Paul says this. Dear friends, remember he's writing, this is to the church in Philippi. Dear friends, You always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And I want to start here because what Paul is saying is Paul is letting them know and pushing the church to take up the challenge of representing Jesus even while he's away. Even while Paul isn't part of the church, he's saying, listen, even though I'm not there, keep going. I know it's hard, but keep going. Because it's really easy when we walk through these doors on a Sunday morning, we come into this auditorium and we sit down, it's really easy to become a citizen of heaven. It's really easy to look like a citizen of heaven because we're comfortable. We've got citizens of heaven around us. We're in church. But what happens when you leave these walls? What happens when you go into your community, into your schools, into your workplaces, into your homes, and all of a sudden you're on foreign soil again? And it's not so easy. This week we're going to be diving into some practical advice that Paul gives on how to live as a citizen of heaven on foreign soil. How to live as a citizen of heaven on foreign soil. And I love, the first thing that Paul does is he immediately brings the focus to Jesus. As we are trying to figure out how to live, our first, the first place we should look is how did Jesus live? How did Jesus live? Because Jesus was the physical embodiment of heaven on earth, of God on earth. In John chapter 6, verse 38, it actually says, uh, for I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus talking, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And so Jesus, as we're trying to learn what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven, to live on foreign soil, our example of how to do this is found in Christ. And so Paul shares this, this beautiful this beautiful chunk of scripture, verses 5 to 11 in Philippians chapter 2, and he, he lets us know, here's what it looks like to have the attitude of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, now anytime you see that word therefore, it means like what you just read, here's the result. So because of this, now this happens. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The first shift that happens as we begin to allow God to shape our identity as a citizen of heaven is we start to adopt a heavenly attitude. We start to adopt a heavenly attitude. And the first, the first aspect of this heavenly attitude that we learn about, we, we find it based on Christ's example, and it's that we have to be rooted in humility. That everything that we do, it should come from a place of humility. Listen to these powerful words again of, of Christ's attitude. He gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave. He humbled himself in obedience to God. And lastly, in the most humble act anybody could ever take, he humbled himself and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Even those that don't deserve it, even those that are far from God, even you that you're sitting in this this room right now and you're like, Jesus didn't die for me. Yes, he did. He did as a ransom for many. Jesus became what humanity needed in order for us to see God clearly. And people should say the same thing about those of us that follow him. That our attitude should reflect Jesus so much that when other people look at us, they don't see Brandon, they don't see you, they they, they see Jesus reflected beautifully in our lives. So for those of you that have chosen to follow Jesus this morning, we are now called to walk into situations looking to serve others, not have our beliefs catered to. I know this is a big shift. This is, that's the American way, right? Give Burger King, have it your way, right? That's what we've been taught for so many years. Burger King, have it your way. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This isn't about having your beliefs catered to. This is about serving others. There's this other letter that uh, Paul wrote um, to a church plant in, in, a, in a city called Corinth. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, where Paul says this, when I am with those that are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Listen to this next part. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Common ground with everyone. Everyone in a a country right now that is so divided. 
The church should be the last place that is struggling with divisiveness. Paul says, find common ground with everyone so that you can save some. So that you may be to someone what they need you to be. This is the attitude of Christ. But adopting this attitude, it's not easy. Like this, this is not an easy thing to do because so often we're guilty of excusing our selfishness and our pride by just claiming our rights. And here's what I mean by that. I can spend all of this money because I earned it. It's my right. Or I can say what I want to that person because they treated me poorly. It's my right. Or my weekends are mine because I'm tired. It's my right. I'm going to slander my coworker to get the promotion because guess what? I deserve that promotion. So I'll do anything. It's my right. But through the example of Christ, we see that our attitude should be just the opposite. Remember, Paul says in the beginning of, of chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, Paul says, though he was God, though Jesus was God, though he had a right not to do any of this, he gave it all up for us. Though he was God. Adopting a heavenly attitude enables us to lay aside our rights, our wants, our desires in order to serve and love others. And that we should, we should develop an attitude of humility as we serve and love those around us, even when, we're un, when it's unlikely that we are going to be recognized for doing so. We don't serve and love others in hopes that everybody sees how great we are. That's not humility. I think it was C.S. Lewis said, humility is not uh, thinking, of yourself, uh, thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. And so even when we're not recognized for doing something, the goal isn't to become a somebody. The goal is to become a nobody. Because that's what Jesus was. When he came into the world, John says that when he came into the world, his own people didn't even recognize him. There's this incredible uh, Greek myth about Odysseus and a cyclops. And Odysseus, um, the, the, story, the, myth, the myth says that Odysseus is on his ship with all of his men and they stop on this island and they end up being captured by this cyclops. And the cyclops starts to, he gathers all of the men up into this cave and he starts to eat Odysseus's men. And he looks at Odysseus and he says, what is your name? And Odysseus responds, nobody. And the cyclops says, okay, perfect. Well, I'm going to leave you for last then. And so that night, as the Cyclops is sleeping after eating quite a few of Odysseus's men, him and he gathers up, Odysseus gathers up his men and they grab this long stick and they carve it into a spear and they stab the spear into the Cyclops's eye. And the Cyclops starts shrieking in pain saying, ah, come, 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 come and help. And all of the other Cyclopses on the island, they come to the cave and they start asking, who did this to you? Who did this to you? And the Cyclops says, nobody. And the other Cyclops say, well, then stop bothering us. Leave us alone. If nobody did this, then leave us alone. And in the midst of all of the commotion and the chaos, Odysseus grabs his men and they, they sneak away and get onto their ship. And as they start to sail away, Odysseus says this. 
Just to set the record straight, the name's Odysseus, he called across the water. But you have nobody to thank for your troubles, nobody but yourself, that is. And in that moment, the Cyclops, hearing Odysseus, where he was, picked up a giant rock and threw it and hit right next to this ship and almost sunk the ship in that moment. See, Odysseus almost sank when he tried to be somebody. Odysseus sank when he tried to be somebody. And the more we try to become a somebody, the more we take on an earthly attitude. But the more we try to become a nobody, the more we begin to develop a heavenly attitude. And so as you begin to adopt this this heavenly attitude, what you're going to find that it leads to is heavenly action. So as we develop this heavenly attitude, it leads us to a place of becoming nobody, taking on the attitude of Christ, thinking of others as greater than ourselves, serving others, humbly becoming a nobody. And all of a sudden we start to develop this heavenly action. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's time to take what we've learned, what we've heard, what's in our head, and put it into action. Finding our identity not in what we see around us, but in what Jesus is calling us to be. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Here's what it says. Do everything. Okay, we're going to pause there. Do everything. Uh, 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 just a quick note on these two word, words. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great pastor and, 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 t- and preacher from the 1800s, he says this. The apostle says, do all things or do everything, by which he seems to teach the activity of a Christian church for the Christian religion is not mere thinking or feeling, but doing and working for God. Do everything. This is what heavenly action is all about. Taking what we learn, taking what we read, taking what we see in the person of Jesus and applying it to how we live our lives. It goes on, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean Innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world of full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. I love this next part, verses 17 and 18. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. See, while your attitude may change what's happening on the inside, it is through your actions that you're actually able to change the world around you. Your attitude is great for what's happening on the inside, but it takes action to change what's happening in the world Around you. So, what are some of these actions that Paul gives us to live more as citizens of heaven? Well, I think he starts off with 
where most of us need to start. And he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, the Golden State Warriors could use a lesson in this, though, <laughs> though, though when I wrote that earlier this week, I wasn't planning on us losing game four, so I'm deeply hurt by that. But when people think of you, ask yourself this this morning, when people think of you, do they think of someone that complains? When people think of you, if we were to do an anonymous poll and get all of your friends in a room and say, you can speak as candidly as you want, does this person complain? Does this person argue? What would they say? What would their response be? And, and this is just as true in the church as it is outside of the church. Paul, Paul is not only speaking about how we are to live and interact with, with our friends, our family, our coworkers, those of classmates, those of us that are outside of the church. Paul is just as much saying that within the church family, do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, why does he say this? Well, he tells us in Philippians 1.27, he says this, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for one faith, for the faith, which is the good news. Paul says this to those in the church family, so that you protect unity. So that there is unity amongst the body. Because one of the greatest danger, dangers to those prone to argue or complain is that the good news about Jesus can become secondary. For those of us that are prone to argue or complain, Jesus can sometimes take the back seat. Because the, the argument or the complaint starts to hijack the mission of the church. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. When we complain and argue, it provides a glimpse into what's actually in our heart. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. When we complain, when we argue, it's showing people a little piece of what's going on in here. Now, there's always going to be issues. Everybody in this room is different. We all have different preferences. We like things a certain way. There will be pain points. There will be struggles. And Paul is saying, in those times, pursue unity and patience. Navigate those, those struggles. Navigate those differences with patience and pursue unity. Not with grumbling, not with complaining. And he goes on to say, why without grumbling and complaining? He says, so that no one can criticize you. So that no one can criticize you. At one, at one point, there's, there's two great theologians. There's John Calvin um, and there's Martin Luther. And John Calvin was told that Martin Luther had spoken of him in a negative way. And Calvin responded, he said, let Luther call me a devil if he please. I will never say of him, but that he is a most dear and valiant servant of the Lord. That is leaving no room for someone to criticize you. That is slamming the door on disunity. 
the next action that Paul gives is to leave clean, clean, innocent lives as children of God. Now, I, I was doing a deep dive on, on these words, and, and this absolutely blew my mind as I was kind of studying the, these words, clean and, and innocent lives as children of God. A better translation is actually to live harmless or blameless, innocent lives. And if we go even deeper, uh, to quote Charles Spurgeon again, he says this, Be ye blameless and harmless, says the apostle. The Greek word for harmless might actually be translated hornless. H-O-R-N-L-E-S-S, hornless. As if ye were to be creatures, not only that do no harm, but could not do any. Like sheep that not only will not devour, but cannot devour. For it were contrary to their nature. For they have no teeth with which to bite. They have no fangs with which to sting. No poison with which to slay. A follower of Jesus should live in such a way that it is impossible for us to bring harm to those around us that we would live so blamelessly, so harmlessly, that it would be like we don't have teeth to bite with. That it would be like we don't have poison to slay with. That causing pain or hurt is not within our nature. Don't fire back at your wife with those words that sting. Don't respond on Facebook with, with, uh, as if you're talking to somebody that doesn't exist, a fake person without feelings. Don't forget that though they may be different than you, they are still created in God's image. And as you start to live like this, as you do things without grumbling or complaining, as you start to live clean and innocent and harmless and blameless lives as children of God, what starts to happen is what Paul tells us here. He says, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, what do lights do? Lights make things evident. Like if this room was dark right now, I wouldn't be able to see the facial, uh, your guys' faces. I wouldn't be able to see your facial expressions. I wouldn't be able to see you in this room. But the lights are making things evident. I can see you. Lights are used to guide. They get us around. That's why we have lighthouses on the edge where there's rocks and sharp, sharp rocks and sharp cliffs so that ships don't crash into them. They're used to guide. Lights are used as a warning. Lights are used to bring cheer, right? We light candles to bring cheer, especially trick candles. Then we really bring some, maybe more anger. Lights are used to make things safe. And so as we live this way, as we shine like bright lights, that our heavenly attitude and these heavenly actions, they start to set us apart. We start to look different. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. I mean, I don't know if Jesus can get any more blunt than this. He says, you are the light of the world. Those of you that are following Jesus, this, this, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. 
If you've chosen to follow Jesus, your faith, your following should be evident. Your actions should represent him. It shouldn't be like you you got saved, you started following him, and then it was like, I'm going to go into hiding. No, Jesus says, you should be like a city on a hill. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. There are so many people in our lives right now that need some light. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I love that last part. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Again, this isn't about you. This isn't about living this way so other people will praise you. It's so that as people see you live differently, you can redirect that back up to God and say, this is all to him for his glory. And Paul was writing to lights, the people, the followers of the ch- in the church in Philippi that were in a dark place. And instead of excusing the lights for not shining, Paul knew that their position made it all, all the more important that they shine as bright as possible. Because being in a dark place is a greater incentive to shine. And we're called to do the same. This past week, I was just looking up some, some statistics for our area. And I, I don't know if you guys know this, but the top five least religious, least churched states are in New England. All top five. One, two, and three are New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Vermont. Okay, that is... We are positioned to shine bright because it's very dark top five least religious states. Man, I don't know about you, but that just lights a fire in me. I want to see that switched. I want to see us become 45 through 50. That's what I want to see. What an incredible opportunity for us to shine bright like lights. But you can't be a light and live in the dark This means we have to be mindful of what's trying to steal our identity. Those things that as we feel out of place, those things that are offering us, listen, just take this and you can be a little more in place. You can blend in a little more. Being wary of those things that try to hijack our identity and instead having a heavenly attitude that leads to heavenly action. Now, as we wrap this up, this is all great, right? But how? But how? How do I, how do I not grumble? How do I not complain? How do I actually shine bright? Well, Paul actually tells us and the church in Philippi, and what I love about what he says is again, it makes it not about us. Listen, you cannot do this stuff in your strength. You cannot do this stuff on your own. And Paul says in Philippians chapter two, verse 13, for God is working in you. Listen to this next part, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. It is not you. It's God working in you. But for God to be able to work in you, you have to surrender your life to him. To develop a heavenly attitude, to develop heavenly action, it takes you surrendering to God and allowing him to work on your life. This past week, Allie, uh, my, that's my wife, she told me to listen to a, a sermon 
um, and this story that a pastor named Al Gordon used. And when Allie tells me to do something, I'm like, absolutely. And so I was listening to this story, and he tells this story of these famous artists, these famous sculptors that were given a huge chunk of marble, massive chunk of marble, and they were told to create something beautiful. And many tried, and these, these artists and these sculptors, they came to the marble and they started working on it, and it, the marble was so tough, it started to break their tools, and they couldn't get it to shape right, and so they're chipping away pieces, and it just wasn't, it wasn't looking right. And so all these famous artists and these sculptors, they just gave up. They gave up. Even, even the great uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci tried. He was asked to come and try to sculpt something, and and he gave up. He said, this is impossible. This marble, nobody can work with this. And so the marble was tipped on its side, moved. It was so heavy that they, they, they could only move it about 100 feet, and they left it in a courtyard, and it sat there for 25 years, and nobody touched it. All of a sudden, a 26-year-old showed up, and he saw something beautiful in this marble. And for two years, he chipped away and he chipped away, and he worked, and he worked. And that 26-year-old was named Michelangelo, and eventually he sculpted this. Perhaps the, the greatest statue piece of art that has ever been created, the statue of David. And when he was asked how he created this, when people came up and said, how did you do this? Michelangelo answered and said, the goal isn't to chip away what is David. It's to chip away what isn't. God wants to start chipping away the things that are not of him today. Those things that you're ready to, you're ready to take those steps, the heavenly action, the heavenly attitude. But you're not ready to surrender. God is waiting with his chisel ready to start sculpting you to look more and more like Jesus today, but it takes you surrendering. He's ready to chip away and remake something beautiful that shines bright for him. And, and here's the thing that I love about God is he never gives up on you. I, 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 everybody in this room is in different places, different baggage, different spiritual backgrounds, struggles, hardships that even you're facing right now. And what God is saying is, I'm still here. I'm still waiting. I need you to surrender to me. And once you do that, get ready. Now, it's going to be painful. Chipping away things that are not of God, it's, it's not pain-free. It hurts and it takes time. It took Michelangelo two years. So through surrender and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we can start to do this. We can start to develop a heavenly attitude and heavenly action. So this week, let's try to shine bright for Christ. And, and th these are my takeaways. Like these are, these are my applications for you. These are the things I'm going to challenge you to do this week. Don't complain. Like I'm going to make it real simple for you. Don't complain. Don't argue. Humbly serve others. Pursue unity. Don't bring harm to others. 
Adopt a heavenly attitude and pursue heavenly action. And as the book of James tells us, I love, this is just becoming one of my favorite ways to close out these services. As the book of James tells us, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit helps us do that this week. God, we... There are pieces of us, pieces of our identity that have been hijacked because, God, we wanted to fit in. We didn't want to look different. And so as our, maybe our coworkers were grumbling and complaining, God, it was really easy for us to just jump in. Or, God, maybe we were the ones that were leading the charge. God, it's really easy. It's really easy to make it about us. But help us each and every day to adopt the attitude of Christ. That though he was God, he did not count equality with God as something to be achieved. But instead, he emptied himself of his divine privileges and took the humble form of a slave. God, he gave up his life as a ransom for many. And so, God, as we go into our weeks, help us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we know it's not us, it's you working in us. God, help us to not complain, help us to not argue, and help us to look to bring unity and not cause harm where we go. And God, I pray for the people in this room that maybe they just haven't surrendered their lives yet to you. God, I pray that this morning you would work in their hearts and you would show them that you've created them to be something so much more that you are waiting and ready to start chipping away and creating, to, to create that image that looks more like you. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you still love us even when we feel unlovable. So God, help us to shine bright this week. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.